True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Mousepad, Ferrer, Nola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on January 26th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, we have first-year player draft rankings for those in Dynasty Leagues. I know a lot of those drafts are either getting ready to start up, have already started up, so obviously very relevant this time of year. We've got the top international prospects to talk about. Sounds like this class might be the best that we've seen in a while. Obviously, we'll learn that from the Welsh. Um, and for those listening, checking this out, your inclination might be, all right, this is a Dynasty-only podcast. And I'm not going to lie to you. There are obviously lots of Dynasty elements, but... I can assure you that there will be some names we talk about today that will be in the majors this year. So if you want to get ahead of the competition, you want to learn about these prospects before they're on their big league teams, this is the place to do that. Welsh, what's going on, buddy? It's been a while. How's life going? It has been a while. It make it so much long of a while. Uh, I forgot how much I love that open. It just, I don't, even when I was, you know, every single week, I'd, don't think I did a lot of Fridays, so I forget how much I love that, and I was just bopping to it. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube, which you should, it's very naked behind me because the Welsh is moving. So my Ooh. normal studio of baseballs and all that is out there. But life is good. Baseball is good. Pitchers and catchers report in no time. And as I told you, I 
have about two weeks until the first camp opens out here in Arizona, which is the Dodgers. And I will be out there fighting through the mob and the crowd, probably not to even see Otani or Betts or any of those guys. I'm out there to be like, what's Diego Cartaya looking like? How's Dalton Varshow living? That's what we're going to be looking at. Love it. Absolutely love hearing that. And uh, we will have you on, obviously, in the month of February as well. And look forward to hearing more from you, you know, firsthand, what you're seeing, what you're hearing out there. So looking forward to that. Again, today we're talking about first-year player draft rankings for those in Dynasty Leagues. And Scott actually posted his rankings on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. So I will be going in order of Scott's rankings, but we can compare and contrast to your rankings as well, Welsh. Uh, And real quickly, before we get started, where can people find your first-year player draft rankings? Yeah, I've got all my prospect and uh, first-year player and everything like that international stuff over at InThisLeague.com. That is on uh, my Patreon, which we're still doing, Prospect 1 and In This League. InThisLeague.com, where my first-year player is over 100 deep, and I also present them. It's actually something you probably see on how I sent it to you. I like to present my first-year player ranks like a draft. So I do them in tiers of 15, and I even put the overall pick if we were just going down the list, what round they are. So people can have a perspective of not just like here is like 60 guys, but Oh, Hey, this is like a third or fourth round guy. So we are pretty deep into the first year player and decently deep in the international class. I actually think that'll be an interesting conversation when we get there, because there are some fun names, but I do have some takes on the international side for, you know, the most exciting class we've had in forever. We'll see. We'll see how much like real good data we have on it, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking some first year player. All right, let's jump right in. And I'll start with the top two names here, Welch, because I think both of them could be relevant for this upcoming season. And, you know, I'm looking at your rankings. I don't see Yamamoto in there. I'm sure, you know, if I told you to where would you rank Yamamoto, you can obviously tell me. And he's going to be available in a lot of these first-year player drafts as well. But number one for Scott is Wyatt Langford, who we talked about a lot. Fourth overall pick last year. Monster, you know, small sample, 44 games in the minors, hit 360, 10 homers, 12 steals, an OPS over 1,100. Sounds like he has a legit chance to be on the Rangers opening day roster as well. Number two is the aforementioned Yoshinobu Yamamoto, 25-year-old phenom starting pitcher that came over from Japan, uh, has an ERA under 1.7 three years in a row, has not only won their version of the Cy Young in each of those three years, He has also won the league MVP in Japan each of the past three years. So talk to me about uh, Wyatt Langford and Yamamoto. Do you agree those should be the top two players in uh, first-year player drafts? Yeah, I do. And uh, there's a little bit of a crunch for me between like Yamamoto and I'm very high on Dylan Cruz, who we'll talk about. I'm very, very high on him. And having hitters over pitchers, that's like just this big discussion. But Yamamoto is special. He's also young. There's longevity into it. And Unlike, you know, we've talked about Yamamoto a lot, like the difference with where there are similarities with him and Senga, both, you know, splitter guys and their strikeouts out there. Yamamoto is more of the command guy. So you start talking to me about a pitcher that's got floor and command, then I'm going to be even a bit more excited. And especially if one thing that I struggle with, like splitter pork ball type of guys, is that, um, you if, if if you lie on that pitch too much and you don't have something else to go to and you can't command it, well, then I worry that you're going to get banged around a little bit. And that's like something like Casey Mize ended up having. But um, I think Yamamoto's too. In my update, I am going to at least put those guys in the first-year player ranks. I don't put them in the prospect ranks. I used to. It's just it's kind of like personal preference or anything like that. But Yamamoto, 
definitely there in overall prospect world. I think five makes a lot of sense after the big four hitters in the overall world of it. So first year player two. And hey, if you're in a league that is a, maybe it's a points league that really benefits pitchers, I could see a scenario where somebody would want to have Yamamoto at one, but I couldn't pass on Wyatt Langford because High batting average, hit 360 across the four levels, OBP over 400, double-digit stolen bases, and homers in, what was it, 44 games. There's a lot of great upside there. I still have some questions if this is going to be like the superstar of superstar of superstar players, like he's being anointed. But I really think he's going to be a great, solid player for a long time. Maybe over time, the stolen bases are going to kind of taper down, but he's a 30 home run potential with great batting average, great points league player because he doesn't strike out as much. And he's going to be given an opportunity out the gates. I mean, they they are at least in conversation going to let him have an opportunity to be the DH. And I think a cool advantage if they were to give that to Langford is any of those like little negatives we talk about with Evan Carter that they could do like a lefty ready split? You know, they could take Carter out, Langford could go to the outfield, he could DH. So I think there's a decent opportunity and possibility he is there. These are the top two guys for proximity reasons and overall, but I really hate to talk about it without Dylan Cruz too, because I'm still a big Dylan Cruz guy, Frank. And we will get to Dylan Cruz in just a second. I wanted to follow up real quick on Wyatt Langford because. I know you have some contacts in the Rangers organization, so obviously, you know, uh, you're maybe a little bit closer to this than anybody else that I know personally, but we got a report last weekend. Jeff Wilson of Rangers Today wrote that Justin Foscue has a chance to break camp with the team. He's a former first-round pick as well, has shown some power and speed in the minors. Also mentioned that Wyatt Langford could be unlikely for opening day because the team doesn't want him to start his career out as a DH. Have you heard anything that might support that? And Langford not being up on opening day. So I haven't, I haven't done my uh, a follow up in the last, let's say it was three weeks. the The previous conversation was actually right around you and I. We were having a conversation. I was like, I'm going to reach out and see what was going on. And, and as far as what I was told was, the intention is that they are going to give Wyatt Langford an opportunity to bring camp with the team. Now both things might be true. They may not want him to be this full time DH. But I would also say this. I think exactly what I just said can live as part of the possibility that they could just simply have Wyatt Langford, Evan Carter, maybe there's another player, just switch and move between. I don't think Carter has to be designated as a full-on DH. I think he could still have plenty of days in the outfield, but maybe that is enough for them to say, here's what we got. We have Evan Carter to be the best advantage for us to be in that player pool and that extra pick. And we're alive for this extra pick compensation with Evan Carter. Let's make sure White Langford is getting everyday reps in the outfield. If they don't feel that he can take over that spot immediately, because they do have uh, Evan Carter, Adolis Garcia and Leody Tavares. That is and Bubba Thompson uh, got waived and uh, picked up by the Yankees. So that's not even like a depth option. So they could say, this is what we are hundred percent going with. And if Langford can't beat out one of these players, then yeah, he has to go to the minors. It's open for possibility for sure. I'll probably reach out and see more, but I, maybe I'm wrong, but I would be shocked if Foscu was the guy that made the team over Langford out the shoot. Yeah. And again, I agree. And Scott said something similar where, you can kind of mix things around where, all right, you can shuffle Adolis Garcia to DH at times, Evan Carter to DH. Tavares probably not because he's a really, really good center fielder, but there are ways where they can get Langford in the outfield and, and kind of give 
other players half days off. So I, I think it could still work out. A lot yeah. will come down to what Langford does in spring training. Number three and four on Scott's list, the aforementioned Dylan Cruz, who you are very excited about, Welsh, rightfully so. Second overall pick in last year's draft. Got 35 games in, hit 292, five homers, four steals, and 844 OPS. This was an elite collegiate bat. And Paul Skeens at number four, who was the first overall pick by the Pittsburgh Pirates, 21 years old, big dude, six foot six, massive fastball, average 98 miles per hour, has this plus slider, ridiculous numbers uh, at LSU last year. He was the SEC pitcher of the year, posted all these kind of crazy stats as well. Well, so you think this is kind of, if you include Yamamoto, is this like a top tier of four in first year player draft rankings and then it drops off? Or do you think it's maybe a tier of three and then you have kind of skeins maybe on the outside looking in? No, no, I'm, I'm a skeins in that territory guy. I, I, I'm open to the possibility that taking Yamamoto over skeins in the long term might look silly. I, I think that is still in the works here. The biggest thing everybody picks about Paul Skeens to this day has been the fastball shape. That's kind of a constant. There's some big baseball heads that look, oh, I don't really like the shape of it. Lance Brozowski did this really interesting breakdown. Uh, you want to go, we talk about him all the time, obviously, of talking about uh, players moving on opposite sides of the rubber and maybe making that like a constant. And that's something that could help Skeens. I think that would, especially if you're talking about the, if you don't think that maybe there's a possibility you can have major improvement on fastball shape, then maybe moving around the rubber would be a fix to that a little bit. I mean, we saw Brandon Fott become a completely new pitcher once Brett Strom moved him over uh, to the left side of the of the rubber. So I think that's a possibility. Plus, I love Paul Skeen's changeup. He threw it, I think, 7 6% of the time in college. I think that's something he can lean on more, and I think that's a big strikeout pitch. You just need that fastball to be able to command. He's a bulldog. He throws strikes and then use those other two pitches to get your strikeouts, and I think that's what can be done. So I, I don't focus as much on the fastball shape. I think it's a guy, he is an aggressive, aggressive hitter in the likes of a Spencer Strider, but with three pitches, he can go deep into games. Yeah, it's a... It's the hope of a generational type of pitcher. So he's in the core with me. And I'm just a defender of Dylan Cruz. I'm I don't want to get too much like, oh, hey, this guy was awesome this year. Let's give him extra credit. And this guy stunk, but let's not worry about it. So I don't want to be like a complete hypocrite, but I try not to like get super hyper focused on players' performances in their first full season especially when they're an immense talent and I think that's maybe some of what gets what happens with Dylan Cruz like he moved up and he struggled once he got up a level but he is a an immensely great contact hitter there's pure raw power he's shown good max exit velocity to all fields even hitting opposite field maybe stolen bases won't be dominant but you know I think like a floor is a guy like a Brian Reynolds with a ceiling of a first round overall talent. I just think he's going to work himself into being a 30 plus home run hitter who steals and hits for a high batting average. And he is going to be saved by his ability to barrel the ball and hit the ball hard around the field. So I like Dylan Cruz. I'm totally here for the Dylan Cruz values. If people are selling, I'm buying, but this is like a core, a really good core for first year player. It's reminiscent of the, uh, Jason Dominguez, Bobby Witt, Andrew Vaughn, Adley Rutschman from, I think, 2019. That was like that big core for a first-year player. This kind of feels uh, similar. All right, let's move on to another tier. And I'm going to throw four names your way. So a lot going on here, Welsh. But Scott's rankings at number five, he has Walker Jenkins. 
Uh, Walker Jenkins, an outfielder with the Minnesota Twins. Matt Shaw, infielder with the Cubs. Max Clark, an outfielder with the Tigers. And Tommy Troy, infielder with your Arizona Diamondbacks. So different skill sets, uh, different timelines for these players as well. We're looking at Max Clark and Walker Jenkins as high school outfielders. So a little bit further away, obviously sky-high potential for both of those guys. Matt Shaw and Tommy Troy, collegiate infielders who offer power and speed, lots of like, you know, I've seen Matt Shaw really getting pushed up prospect rankings and rightfully so. Uh, but what do you think? Does this feel like another tier? Um, and who do you like most from this group? Yes, uh, I agree with what you said. This is another tier. I might even have like a guy or two I would throw in as like a soft add to it. But I love Matt Shaw. I'm a Matt Shaw guy. I will say more predominantly people are Walker Jenkins, and that's totally fine. He is also probably the most physically talented of all these players. He stole a bunch of bases early on. He shows a really good ability to hit for contact. There is really high projectable power. So I get why they're there, but I am... Matt Shaw and then Max Clark. So Matt Shaw specifically was someone I fell in love with in like that pre-draft process. And he had a great debut where he ended up hitting uh, 357. He popped up eight homers, 15 stolen bases. He did all of this in under 40 games, can hit doubles. I think he's just like a total package player, might end up moving to third base. Uh, I love his ability to make contact. I love for him to get counting stats across the board. Maybe I'm a little bit more picky that I don't think like Walker Jenkins is going to steal tons as he get o- gets older. And maybe I'll be wrong about that. That's also something I really love about Max Clark. Max Clark is the example where you, I'm saying like, this is a guy in his pro debut who kind of stunk. And I think he's getting smacked pretty bad for it because he had a bad pro debut where Walker Jenkins didn't or did have a really great pro debut. But I think Max Clark is an incredibly talented player who is going to steal tons of bases. He's a technician as far as working in the offseason, paying attention to analytics, his swing continuously adjusting. He's physically impressive as he gets bigger. He is an all fields contact hitter. I think he's going to have tons of stolen bases, good contact, solid power numbers. It's five tool ish. And uh, it's not like Corbin. I don't want to say like Corbin Carroll, blah, 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 but it's in that like make. So I really like Max Clark still. So I'm banking on the potential. So I am Shaw uh, Clark, then Jenkins, and maybe Tommy Troy might even actually, now that I'm thinking about it, take out of that tier because it's those three guys are a core. Um, even though Tommy Troy is a diamondback, I obviously love that. I think he might lack a little bit in the batting average department with the counting stats, where I think those other guys have a t- potential to go like really high in certain categories. Tommy Troy will be pretty solid, but yeah, let's, let's do Shaw, Clark, and Jenkins in their own tier after the big four. If we're thinking long term even this season honestly i think there's a chance we could see matt shaw and or tommy troy in 2024 with their respective teams it sounds like troy has been working out at third base and that's the plan obviously the cubs have nico horner at second and dancy swanson at short so third base seems like it makes sense what about tommy troy what do you think long term you see here as the position for him and, and the way things shake out for arizona so I do think Matt Shaw could be up. I do not think Tommy Troy okay. will, will come up. Uh, I did talk to Tommy Troy after he got drafted. It was actually cool because he was on a backfield. I took a picture of it. You could see it on my Twitter somewhere uh, that he was working with Orlando Hudson. And I asked, and Hudson was working with him and Kevin Sim, and I'm forgetting the other guy. And I asked him after, I was like, what was that like? And he's like, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Getting to work with O-Dog, working on the infield. They were working at shortstop. I think it... it 
it, one of the things I've kind of sat around thinking is maybe this team would end up trading a Jordan Lawler because you've got a little bit of a pipeline coming through. At the end of the day, I think Tommy Tro would probably be a second base option. Um, you know, maybe maybe they'll like him defensively more than Jordan Lawler. But I think if Jordan Lawler stays on the team, he's going to have that shortstop position locked down. I think he's fine defensively. So I would think, imagine they would move him to second, which with also a little bit of injury that he had last year, Tommy Troy did a little bit of slow development, at least as far as the Diamondbacks go. I don't think he makes the majors. I do think Shaw is a potential because we have to see you know, ultimately what they're totally going to do with that third base position. But I think Shaw is a guy that moved up enough and they think is advanced enough that if July came and they brought him up, I really would not be shocked. All right, number nine and 10 in Scott's first-year player draft rankings, we see Hurston Waldrip, the... I guess third starting pitcher technically behind Yamamoto and Paul Skeens. Uh, Herson Waldrop was drafted 24th overall last year by the Atlanta Braves, and he has a chance to fly through the system. I mean, he technically already is. He made eight starts last year, including one at AAA. The Braves are a team that's been incredibly aggressive with their prospects over the past couple of years. A legit three-pitch mix Fastball in the mid to upper 90s. We've got that wipeout split changeup. Uh, and then flash some big upside with that slider as well. I remember when we did starting pitcher prospects podcast earlier in the offseason, we kind of talked about Waldrip like by midseason, there's a non-zero chance that he is the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. And I, I still stand by that. Well, I guess we can get your opinion on it. Uh, number 10 is Rhett Louder. So I'm going to just kind of pair these two together. Another mm. pitcher from the Cincinnati Reds. He was the seventh overall pick in last year's draft. The second pitcher drafted behind Paul Skeens feels like more of a high floor pitcher than anything else. His best pitch is a changeup. He also has really great control. But if we're projecting long term, Cincinnati, they've done some interesting things with pitching development, but it's obviously a really tough place to pitch as well. So uh, give me your thoughts here. Number nine, Hurston Waldrop. Number 10, Rhett Louder. So Waldrop is a guy that I think you could almost put into that other tier that we were talking about. Maybe even over Tommy Troy. I like him, but he's risky. And and he's um, he's like not new for anybody. So there's, there's no breaking ground. Everybody's talking about Waldrop. The Braves have brought up pitchers quicker than any other team. This is a guy that has college experience. His problem, he has massive command issues. He still had like a double-digit walk percentage while he was in the minors, but his strikeouts were going crazy because he's got an insane slider. He's got the stuff to be crazy, crazy elite. It's just going to be what do the Braves do, which is a great organization for him to be with, to hone in that command, to make sure that when he gets to higher levels, in the lower levels, everybody's just swinging at this nasty splitter and he's got a big power fastball. But when you get to more advanced hitters and they start sitting on stuff, what is he going to do? So he could be the number one, but there's some volatility in his game. Rhett Louder is interesting because I think I'm higher on him than most people, but I like safer pitchers. I've, I've kind of, that's something that's happened over the last couple of years. Volatility in pitchers kind of gets eh for me. This is back to our George Kirby conversation, where I'm like, yeah, let's give me all the George Kirby's and you know and draft champions this year. I like that safety net, and Rhett Lauder is that. He was phenomenal in the College World Series. Great, great command pitcher with one of the best changeups. And I know the Reds are scary because of ballpark, but I have been thinking they've been pretty decent if you look at like sliders in the organization hunter green changed who he was became a relevant pitcher because he threw the slider the usage went up and it's a good pitch nick lodolo another slider guy uh, off speed curveball um i think that what they can do is they can continuously develop 
this slider. And then if you have a high end command fastball with one of the best changeups and an above average slider, I think Rhett Louder can put up some big strikeout numbers while not being a power pitcher. He is not uh, Paul Skeens. You know, it's low 90s fastball. He's not a uh, Hurston Waldrip, but he's a guy that can continuously keep throwing strikes with three really good pitches. So I think he's underrated. So I have him higher. So me and Scott are probably maybe a little bit different than some of the other market, but because I really think Rhett Louder is somebody that if I were in the back team, I would want him. Like if I if he fell into a second round of a first year player, I'd be screaming to either take him at my pick or trade to get up for Rhett Lauder. And especially a name to uh, consider in those head to head points dynasty leagues as well. Pitching t- yeah. typically does get pushed up a little bit, especially someone like Lauder, who was a college pitcher. There's some proximity, I think, there. We could see him. I'm not sure if it's this year, but within the next couple of years, obviously. So, uh, yeah, just a name to, I guess, remember it all. Dynasty formats, but specifically in points leagues as well. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll uh, wrap up the rest of... I've got the top 15 in Scott's first-year player draft rankings. We'll do that right after this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back in. We're talking first-year player draft rankings for those in Dynasty Leagues, and we left off after the top 10 from Scott White and picked things up with 11 and 12. You'll notice on the site, Scott has Jung-Hoo Lee at 10. I'm going to save Jung-Hoo Lee and Chota Imanaga for after we get through uh, the rest of these first-year player draft rankings, and then we can talk about, all right, maybe we think where they should slot in among this group. But 11 and 12, we have two high school shortstops. Colt Emerson with the Seattle Mariners, very polished hitter. Uh, maybe some questions about how much power and speed long-term. Aiden Miller with the Philadelphia Phillies, the 27th overall pick last year, uh, did hit over 300 in the small sample. No homers, a couple of steals, 804 OPS. Uh, sounds like not as polished a hitter as someone like Colt Emerson, uh, but maybe has more projectable power. Obviously, Great ballpark in Philly if he does remain in that organization. Uh, Welsh, is this the right spot to be looking at names like Colt Emerson and Aiden Miller, 11 and 12? So me personally, not Aiden Miller, but yes, Colt Emerson. Um, I wouldn't say maybe. Aiden Miller is like no doubt a big power play. I want to say he either won one of the high school home run contests or he was in the finals of one of them recently. This is a big, big power hitter. So the, the 30 home run potential is there. I'm not necessarily sold like that the batting average is going to live in a really high spot though he did in his pro debut he's a good bet and i and we have kind of opened up 
the first year market. I'm kind of looking at the players, like your, your agreements and disagreements of like, Hey, I want to value this like really high end power hitter. Okay. I'm with it. I have him quite a bit lower. So Aiden Miller isn't necessarily um, my cup of tea here, but Colt Emerson definitely is. And there are some questions on the power, but you know, age old adage of like power is the last thing to develop. So you give me a guy that makes crazy, crazy contact with Emerson was like near a 400 hitter in the minors this year. He can run. It also gotten bigger. I saw uh, he's my dear friend, uh, Dennis Sidler with SIDS graphs. He's an exclusive client of his and just like, looks like Saquon Barkley out there getting that lower half, which lower half, you know, big lower halves usually tend to like, you know, big uh, thighs and everything will be a good projector for future upper body um, development. I think like if 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 I believe he can be a 20 home run hitter which I do I think he's going to steal enough bases and make high end contact that we've kind of taken a little bit of the value out of him like it would have been it was cool when you could get him around the 20s a first year player which was pretty much when the draft happened now you've got to pay a first round pick love to be able to get him later but I think there's a ton of upside with Colt Emerson uh, and I shouldn't say there isn't with Aiden Miller it's just not necessarily where I'm going because there's a few other players I like ahead of him all right, 13, 14, and 15 in Scott's first-year player draft rankings. We have Noble Meyer, who is a starting pitcher with the Marlins. He was a high school arm. He was the fourth pitcher drafted in last year's draft. Big dude, six foot five, kind of lanky, 185 pounds. We were talking beforehand. You almost just kind of want to blindly put your faith in the Marlins organization when it comes to pitchers because they've just done such a great job. Number 14, he has Kyle Teal, a catcher with the Boston Red Sox. He was the 14th overall pick in last year's draft. The second catcher drafted, uh, a college bat, some power, some speed, some interesting things there from a catcher. Uh, and then Brock Wilkin, who is someone I know that you are pretty excited about, third baseman with the Brewers. He was the 18th overall pick in last year's draft. Another college bat, big dude, six foot four, two twenty-five. Got forty-seven games in in the minors. Hit two eighty-five, five homers, eight doubles, four triples, uh, four steals. Just you know, lit it up in the minors. Partridge last in a pear season. tree. That's right at the end. <laughs> That's a lot going on there with uh, Brock Wilkins. So talk to me about these three Welsh: thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Noble Meyer, Kyle Teal, Teal, and Brock Wilkin. So like, I really love the top end pitchers. For better or for worse, I'm not gonna you're not gonna hear me go nuts about like as we go lower on them. But like, okay, I talked to Herson Waldrep, huge upside. Talked to Brett Louder, really big command. I think like Noble Meyer might be the best combination of everything that you want. The only negative is he was a high school pitcher. I would not be shocked if let's say five years, let's give ourselves a window. Five years from now, we look back at this class and Noble Meyer is the best of all the pitchers, even over Paul Skeens. I said that on CBS Sports HQ during the draft when um, the fine people had me on for the live TV coverage. I said the same thing because I love everything that Noble Meyer is about. It is a big power fastball, a big slider, and he went to an organization that is amazing with developing changeups. So again, you get me three big plus pitches for a young kid that, you know, command is going to be continuously in work, but there's tons of good projectable body. I got to talk to him like a tiny bit during the MLB draft combine that was out here. I was telling you off here, it was so funny. Everybody out, like I saw Max Clark there. Everyone's, you know, in like the you know sweatpants and like shirt or maybe a polo or something. And like Max Meyer came or uh, Noble Meyer came out there with like a suit and he was a tie and suit and he was just like ready to talk to GMs and just very, very easygoing guy, unaffected by a lot of stuff with incredible, incredible stuff. So I love Noble Meyer. 
if I was in the teens, you know, I think Noble Meyer's the upside play. Rhett Lauder's the safety proximity guy. I think the they'll sit on Meyer, uh, Noble Meyer a little bit. Kyle Teal, great. I don't fall in love with catchers in uh, in Dynasty Fantasy too much, but he does do a little bit of everything. Maybe even projectable for one of those guys like a Henry Davis that could play out. So that's a, a really great bet as well. And then our last guy, I just completely drew a blank. Who was, oh, Brock Wilkin. So Brock Wilkin, teammates of Rhett Lauder and uh, played in the College World Series. He put up the biggest EV numbers that I got from college bats overall. He's got kind of an interesting like inside arm angle where he's almost like hunched. Some people don't like that, but he gets to the ball quick, absolutely murders baseballs. And this is one of those guys where you're trying to be like, who really could be... I'm going to say like a Matt Will, Matt Olson, like a, the next 35 plus home run power guy. That's Brock Wilkin in my mind in a great ballpark as well. And you see like Reese Hoskins getting signed, even though Wilkin's a third baseman, you could foresee Wilkin being the guy that maybe comes in and replaces, you know, Hoskins is a nice two, a nice two year stop gap until a guy like Wilkin gets in there. But yeah, I think he hits for enough contact to tap into the power where Wilkin Wilkin, I would 1,000% and do have over Aiden Miller. There's no chance I would bet on Aiden Miller over Wilkin at this point. Yeah, looking at your first-year player draft ranks, you have Brock Wilkin at number nine, and Scott has him at 15. So you are aggressive there on Brock Wilkin. And yeah. if someone's looking for power in their first-year player draft, he is very clearly a name that they should be targeting. Wanted to quickly mention a few other names that you have on your top 15 list that Scott does not have, and quickly you know, just kind of talk about what you like about those players. Leo DeVries is the top international signing. I'm going to save that for a little bit later on. You have Chase Davis in outfielder with the Cardinals at 13. You have Nolan Shanuel, first baseman with the Angels, who we did see at the end of last season. You have him at number 15. What do you like about those two? Yeah, it, we're we're in a space where like I'm still coming to terms with things. Chase Davis was someone I absolutely loved in the pre-draft process. And this is one I'm trying to come to terms with because he had a horrid pro debut. He actually got the most aggressive assignment. He was like the very first player and he didn't even go to rookie ball. I don't think I went think he went to a ball and he really struggled, but this is a guy that is a power speed five tool outfielder who has, you know, the, the, Harold Reynolds could not stop talking about how he looks like Carlos Gonzalez and loves the swing. And that's what he says every time he talks about Chase Davis, but it's real. So I went from like five of Chase Davis down to acknowledging the really pro bad pro debut and trying to trying to not completely give up on him after just one small sample size. So I moved him to the back end of the first round. I think a lot of other people are going to look at the pro debut and be like, nope, no thanks. But if I'm on like a wheel pick in a first year player, I just think he's a good bet, but he's not as safe as a lot of other guys. Shanwell is kind of the same thing. You know, maybe he'll never develop into a power. You know, he's always going to be a first base version of Luis Arise, which nobody really wants. But it is hard to also not acknowledge that a he's going to be you know a leadoff hitter for this team or presumably leave the top in top three a hitter for this team, and he makes tons and tons of contact. So it's like, is there a possibility with you know major league training and not just going from rookie ball to the majors in one month if a team gets their hands on him that he can't start to improve? He can't be talking to Mike Trout and improve your launch angle and your barrel and you know get bigger and start hitting for more homers. Yeah, I think that is a possibility. And this is a guy that's a 300 hitter. So I just like don't want to give up on him. But I am leaving off the table a lot of other upside plays. But that is the dance of first-year player. This dance between do I want a player that has proximity versus do I want the upside of a player that might take a couple years 
but either A, could be one of the best players in baseball or could be a complete failure. That's this weird dance. So the back end of the first round for me, I'm, I'm, I've got some weird shots with Chase Davis and Shanwell. And if you want to talk yourself into Shanwell, the Angels uh, ballpark, Angels Stadium over the past three years, they have the third best park factor for home runs, for left-handed home runs. So it projects out where, all right, if Nolan Shanwell can raise that launch angle a little bit, he obviously makes a ton of contact might be able to tap into like 15 home run power if everything works out for him. And a name to know in points leagues too, because yes. his plate discipline is going to be probably his standout skill, just ability to get on base, probably going to walk more than he strikes out. So something to consider there with Nolan Shanuel. Two other names that I mentioned earlier that Scott has ranked in his first year player draft rankings. Just kind of want to figure out where you would slot them in Welsh. We've got Shota Imanaga, who is a 30-year-old starting pitcher who came over from Japan. He signed with the Chicago Cubs this offseason. And Jung-Hoo Lee, an outfielder from Korea, who signed with the San Francisco Giants. Scott has Jung-Hoo Lee at 10, which would be just ahead of Rhett Lauder, I believe. Yes. And then he has Shota Imanaga at 16, which would be just ahead of Brock Wilkin, something I, I assume you would not do. No. So for me, uh, one thing I noticed, I got to have louder. I have, I should have ahead of Davis, but I think I sent that to you differently. So you would have Davis at 14, uh, Shenwell at 15. I don't have really high hopes for Lee to be, I, I actually think Lee is kind of like a Shenwell type of player, like high contact. He's got more of uh, he has more of a professional background. Uh, you know, I mean, he has more track record to go with, but I think he's not an immensely high stolen base guy, not an immensely high power guy. He makes a lot of contact. So I think they belong together. So if we, if we want to get into like arguments here, I'd be cool with Lee over him. So we could put Lee at 15, but I would rather probably take a shot on Imanaga over him just staying in the rotation. So I'll set them in the first round. I would put them at 14 and 15, and we would bump Davis and uh, Nolan off of the first round. Shota Imanaga has drawn some comparisons to Nestor Cortez. He's this lefty who doesn't throw particularly hard. We're talking 91 to 93 on the fastball, but he throws it up in the zone. He has deception with that fastball. It's a good vertical approach angle. Also has a, a slider and a splitter, which seems like it's going to play well for Imanaga. The knock on him is that he does allow a lot of fly balls, could be prone to home runs. So when we get those, you know, warm days in Chicago and Wrigley or, or the wind's blowing out, you know, we could see some home runs pop out for Imanaga. But there My is a lot to like about him. I know Lance Brzezowski's really excited about him. He was excited even before Imanaga signed with the Cubs. But he, Imanaga is a player that I think is being slept on in redraft. And maybe the fact that he's 30 years old, probably will get slept on in Dynasty as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Because I want to say, like, I was giving you my ceiling on those players. I think there's a legitimate argument that taking them in the first two rounds, the first 30 of a first-year player, if you're in, like, a rebuild mode, I just don't think it makes a ton of sense. Like, Imanaga is interesting because you could take him and trade him. I personally am not a big draft a guy knowing I'm going to trade them. And I know a lot of other people are. So if you want to play the upside game, that's where I would go. But 
you know, there are guys in the second round that we're, we haven't, or we're not going to talk about that. It's like, at the end of the day, you want to take a 30 year old Cubs pitcher over like Bryce Eldridge, who's a two way player for the giants or uh, a couple of the international guys, or even like a Kevin McConaughey with Detroit, who I'm really high on. And a couple of players we'll talk about later. Like, I just think there's a lot of upside in the second round of first year player hitters that you could regret taking a 30 year old pitcher over so there also might be a little bit of context of like where are you in your dynasty you know if you're a massive rebuild team i'm probably not looking at those guys and would move them down but if i am playing for now our league is really interesting the scott white league 24 teams pitching is really tough i would not i will not be shocked when imanaga goes top eight in our league because i, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility because it's like everybody is looking for now production. You want to compete. Pitchers are tough, but at the same end in a 2014 league, you don't want to miss on that uh, high upside future. If you're not competing at all, you would be much better set taking the louders and the noble Myers, or even some of these other bats that are floating around the second round. All right. Just a quick recap of Scott's top 15 in his first year player draft rankings. Again, you can find these on the site. Wyatt Langford, of the Texas Rangers, Yamamoto of the Dodgers, Dylan Cruz with the Nationals, Paul Skeens with the Pirates, Walker Jenkins with the Twins, Matt Shaw with the Cubs, Max Clark with the Tigers, Tommy Troy with the D-backs, Hurston Waldrop with the Braves, Jung-Hoo Lee with the Giants, Rhett Lauder with the Reds, Colt Emerson with the Mariners, Aiden Miller with the Phillies, Noble Meyer with the Marlins, uh, and Kyle Teal with the Red Sox. Imanaga just behind that at 16. Scott has ranked... I believe it's 30. Yeah, 30 names on the site so you could find the rest of his rankings there. Well, so let's transition over to the top international prospects. I mentioned one name already. Your number one international signing, I think number one for most people, Leo DeVries, who is a Dominican shortstop who got $4.2 million from the San Diego Padres. He is 17 years old, who models his game after Jose Ramirez. Both are switch hitters. Leo DeVries, I mean, at 17, He's listed at six foot two, one eighty. So obviously, that is a frame that is going to play long term. It's obviously so hard to project. I mean, these guys are like four or five years out from probably being in the majors. But talk to me about Leo Devries and why it feels like there's more excitement about the international signings this year than maybe not last year because people are pretty excited about Ethan Salas. But like the past five years, for example, it feels like there was kind of a lull in there in terms of international prospects. Yeah, I did an episode on this whole thing. So there's a couple things I think it's interesting in what you said. Like, and I might be off here. I haven't had any necessarily pushback or anybody disagree with me on this, but like, okay, a couple things. Up until last year, everybody on the planet was out on on uh, the J15 class because it kept failing and not working and Roderick Arias, he didn't work and look at Poisson and they just don't worry. It was Jason Dominguez and everybody. So coming into last year with Salas and Felman, everybody was out. And this is a little me thing, but like everybody loved Felman. I loved Salas and I made a big case for Salas last year and that ended up working out. And then we also got Sebastian Walcott. So part one of why is everybody excited? Because we had hits. Ethan Salas jumping into the top 20. Sebastian Walcott was someone you got later. He boosted up. And we haven't even seen Felman. So confidence is back up. Look at this. We got these guys. Part two. 2A and 2B. I think these guys are solid. I think this is like a solid class of players. But I also think comps are running wild. And I think that is what might be getting people excited. There's a player we're going to talk about in a little bit that you note, and I'm not trying to you know, give it away, but it's like this guy comp to Julio Rodriguez. Well, something I noticed, 
there's like three or four players that everybody's like, this guy's like Julio Rodriguez. The comps are crazy. And my assessment, I've, I've, I did everything I possibly could. I don't travel to the Dominican Republic, blah, blah, blah. I do everything that everybody else does. I take what I know with baseball. I watch videos. I watch any video that you can, which is not a lot. And then I read all the reports that everybody else can report from the smart people that have done it. And I just got this sense of everybody who was being comped to wild comp. This is like the, the Harold Reynolds thing. Everybody's Bo Jackson. Every, this guy is modeling after Jose Ramirez. And this guy looks like Julio Rodriguez. And this is, and I, and, and it made me think, I wonder if the assessment of a lot of these players is not great right now. If everybody doesn't have a really great feel. I personally, last year, I walked away confident as can be. I was like, Ethan Salas is the dude without question. I didn't walk away and be like, boy, this is the greatest class I've ever seen, but I see tons of upside. I just wonder if everything we have on these players tells us enough of a story to be hyper aggressive. So that is kind of my little like thesis behind all of these players, but there are some really, really interesting players in here. And DeVries is at the tippy top from a overall body projection. Um, Alex Jensen did a great episode with James Anderson where they talked about it and he kind of comped him. Be careful, Wander Franco, but like, you know, the best bat since a Wander Franco. And I see a lot of those things, but I just don't, I don't see this insane upside. And I'm taking this approach where I was hyper aggressive last year. I think there's a lot of worthwhile guys. I think the top five guys I'm in on, but I only put and talked about 10 guys in my most recent episode because I think there's so much we have to see. So I'm almost reverting back to a couple of years ago where everyone was like, hey, don't worry about it so much. You can pick up these players later. They're way too risky. I think there is a lot of risk because what you just said, everyone is super hyped up. This might be the best class in blah, blah, blah. Maybe, I don't know, but I don't feel as confident as I did before in all the reports that are out there. And I see like a lot of similar things in video for a lot of these guys, but DeVries is uniquely, uniquely uh, the body projectable five tool player clearly looks like he has an explosive bat, which is kind of old school Wander Franco reminiscent. And he is the guy I think that is really worth taking the upside risk. I'm more risky with international players. I put him inside my top 100 and he is also in the first round of my first year player because you do make bets on this and it is a consensus consensus across the board that this is the guy from all of the really smart people, whether I question how much really solid information we have on all of these guys, this is clearly the guy. So I'm willing to take the risk on it, but boy, do I want to see these guys in person? And I will, because I believe four of the top, like five or six international guys are in Arizona and I'll report back there, but that doesn't help for first year player. But this is the guy that you invested in Leo DeVries with the Padres. Again, that name, Leo DeVries. If you're trying to figure out how do I spell this thing? First name, Leo. I think his full name is Leo Dallas. Leo, Leo, Leo yeah. It's like L-E-O-D-A-L-I-S. And then it's D-E space V-R-I-E-S. So if you're looking for Leo DeVries, that is how you will spell out his name. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk about the rest of the Welsh's top five international prospects and some sleepers to know in first-year player drafts right after this. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. 
As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back in number one in the Welsh's top five international prospects, the aforementioned Leo DeVries. The rest of that top five includes Jose Perdomo, who got $5 million from the Atlanta Braves. We got, who am I missing here? Oh, Fernando Cruz, who got $4 million from the Cubs. Then we got, I don't know why. Dwell Joseph. Dwell th- Joseph. Yeah, like my rundown is kind of all like formatted weird. <laughs> Dwell Joseph, who got $3.3 million from the Mariners. And Adolfo Sanchez, who got nearly $3 million from the Mets. So again, let me recap that because it wasn't great. Jose Perdomo from the Braves. Fernando Cruz from the Cubs. Dwell Joseph from the Mariners. And Adolfo Sanchez from the Mets. Give me a quick uh, run around, maybe a fun factor too, or what you've seen from uh, any sure. of those four. So Perdomo might be one of the safest all fields contact, just really good hitter, a uh, little bit smaller. So I think the question is going to be like, where will the body end up like getting to? And will he tap into really advanced power? But uh, it's a very, very easy swinger, makes great contact. He, to me, is kind of a floor player. So where DeVries is number one, I don't mind too much further back in Perdomo because I think there's a little bit more safety in him. Fernando Cruz with the Cubs, he is the big play. There's a there's a small part of me that watched him and was like, boy, this guy looks like he could be number one overall type of player. Incredible body. Like this is a guy that looks like he could get to like a Luis Robert type of range. He's not there obviously yet. But as Alec Jensen had noted, I really like this note he said on James's show was that Fernando Cruz is one of those type of players that like he's a showcase monster. He knows how to show off every little facet of uh, when he's in a showcase. So think of it from football terms of like pro days. Pro days, players are put in the best position to succeed throws. They've done a million times like that's that's what he's kind of alluding to. But Cruz Definitely, I think, has the biggest swings of like he could be a crazy big impact bat, but he also, because there are some strikeout swing and miss issues, it could kind of fall apart. Might even be Christian Hernandez light uh, or, you know, massive major over Christian Hernandez like kind of like him in the future. So I'm kind of both ways. I just think the bat's so explosive, it might be worth taking the risk. Dewell Joseph with Seattle. 
might be a player that is a big riser. I mean, obviously the Mariners do such a great job. He's getting bigger and bigger. He has massive power. They list him around 6'2", 175. He might be getting soon to push in 200, maybe six foot three. Great athlete. But this is another one of those guys that had some swing and miss. I noticed in the swing, there's kind of a little like a wind up, which to me that that's always a struggle with like, that windup is either going to have really bad, like high fastball velocity issues, or that windup also might be something that is a precursor to really bad off speed stuff. But like physically, he's like really exciting and really impressive. And then Adolfo Sanchez is where I probably differ than some other people don't have him in the top five. This is another safe guy. The Reds do a really good job with their international market. They have for years. We're seeing a lot of those guys starting to pop around. And Sanchez, I think, is a great floor combo player. He generates like really good power. He's not a free swinger. Swing is inside, makes good decisions. I think he might even be a tad bit older than some of this class, but that's just one of those guys that I think, I don't know where the stolen bases will go, but I think like he's just a really good hitter with better power projection than Perdomo, but Perdomo might be like the best hitter in the class. So that's my top five with one glaring name, at least in the market, not mentioned, which I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, so I believe that name is Paulino Santana, who is not in your top five. 17-year-old Dominican outfielder who is ranked second by MLB Pipeline has received some of those Julio Rodriguez Oh Yeah, no, I know. That was the first one. Everyone's like, he's like Julio. Yeah, so talk to me about Paulino Santana and, and maybe why you don't have him in your top five. He's number six. He's okay. number six on mine. So just for everybody to know. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know enough about it. I didn't pull enough from the video to be like, oh my God, he looks so much better than Fernando Cruz. Maybe the bat isn't going to be as free swingy as Fernando Cruz or Dwell Joseph. Uh, maybe he's a better runner than I'm seeing. I mean, obviously, I don't think Dwell Joseph is going to be like a, I don't know if the speed is going to be insane in that spot or Fernando Cruz. There's five tool potential with him. Um, but he was also a little bit of a late riser as far as I've been told. Uh, he definitely jumped up pipeline, put him at two. And I, I just don't think the comps help. I actually, if anything, I think it might've irked me a little bit. Cause I didn't look at him and I was like, Oh yeah, that's Julio. I think the idea is of Julio is I think, um, I think he's done a really good job with like learning English, like Julio did. He's power, he's speed, there's some contact in there. I think that might be where some of the comp is as well. I don't know if there's like as much of a physical projection where he's going to get there, but you know, new Julio is in my brain more than uh, old Julio, who was kind of a skinny kid at like 17, 18. So I just didn't see it as much as everybody else, and maybe I will be wrong, but this is what starts to happen is comps go around and we we there's like four videos of Paulino Santana that exist and someone we see a video and we're like oh yeah this is the best guy and then if we invest too high then we're kicking ourselves um so I just th- that that's where I sit with him I know he will be a popular one maybe I will be wrong and uh the Rangers did bring Sebastian Walcott over to camp last year and then brought him up aggressive Maybe I'll get to see him more and maybe I'll get more reports. But that was kind of my big thing. I don't want to pretend like I'm the international J-15 expert because I'm not because I don't get to see them in person. I am beholden to like two or three reports that exist out there and three or four videos as everybody else's. So I think you just have to like really be cautious with these players, even though I can be a not cautious person. Paulino Santana probably has more upside then Adolfo, Adolfo Sanchez. I'm not sure if you can necessarily argue he has more upside than the rest of the guys, but 
maybe I'll eat my words and we're like, what a, as cool as it was for me to get solace right the year before, maybe it'll be, I'll be as stupid on not uh, being as high on Paulino uh, Santana. You know, I realize I said that Adolfo Sanchez signed with the Mets, but it looks like he actually signed with the Reds. Yeah. So just wanted to correct that. Adolfo Sanchez of the Reds, not of the New York Mets. Welsh, of these top five international prospects, I know you have Leo DeVries ranked at number 12 in your first-year player draft rankings. Yeah. Where do you have Jose Perdomo just among the the grand rankings, the grand FYPD rankings. So I have them in the mid twenties in the second or so. Remember I do, I do 15 blocks. So I, he's in my second round block in the mid twenties sandwich, you know, sandwich between like, you know, the Cole Kerrigs, um, Aiden Miller's higher, uh, Dylan heads, stuff like that. But he's the only of the international guys. So it's like, uh, DeVries is first round and Perdomo is second round. All right, let's wrap up with some sleepers for those doing first year player drafts. Right now, uh, you know, these are names that, you know, maybe outside of the top two rounds, top three rounds. I mean, you can kind of tell me where you're looking to draft some of these guys, but uh, who are some sleepers for you? Okay, so I'll just kind of blow through a couple of them because I wanted to give you guys a couple. So some of my favorite sleepers, Ty Pete, we didn't talk about with the Mariners. The Mariners had three first round picks. Johnny Formello, Cole Emerson, and Ty Pete. Ty Pete is the most physically impressive looking player. Uh, I think there's speed power combo there. So I, I have him in the second round. If we're talking, I put him on this list because of the players we have not talked about. Um, I love Cole Carrig, who the Rockies took. He was a catcher drafted as a catcher. And then he played outfield out here. All he did was make contact hit for some power. One of the games I, I was there to see special Walcott Carrig was there. He was able to hit a homer. Uh, I think he's a great five-tool bet. He's later in draft. Cooper Pratt is another player I've talked a lot about with the Milwaukee Brewers. All he does is hit every single time in a great draft class the Brewers had. It was like Mike Bovey, um, Eric Batanti, him, and even Wilkin for a little bit. And Pratt led off every single time, got a hit every single game I saw him, could hit high velocity. He can run. He's just one of those dudes. I would try to get in every first year player. And I think there's a couple others without giving, you know, uh, big breakdowns. But uh, Ralphie Velasquez with the uh, Guardians, I really like. Brandon Winokur with Minnesota, I really like. And Ty Floyd with the Reds. Those are all, you know, somewhere second, third, fourth round. Those are players I would be looking at in first year player. All right. And just to give an idea of where these players, uh, their positions and where they play, Ty Pete, an 18-year-old shortstop with the Mariners. Uh, Cooper Pratt, a 19-year-old shortstop with the Brewers. Cole Carrig, I mean, choose your position, Wells, because <laughs> I don't know what to do with that guy. He's 21 years old. He's in the Rockies organization. Hasn't he played, like, catcher, so outfield? He, like He did weeks. It's really weird. The first week he was here in Arizona, he played catcher. Then he went and played, like, two weeks in the outfield. And then he started playing shortstop. So, yeah, he is just like a super util guy. I have no idea where they're going to settle on him. But they also do that with multiple players. Sterling Thompson in the AFL, they did that with him in the AFL. They had a week of uh, playing second base and a week of outfield. So they might just accept this versatility. If push comes to shove, I would make a bet that he's an outfielder. But you're right. like He, play, he played so many different spots. I don't know what 2024 will be yet. All right, well, I've got a sleeper here, Scott. Uh, Scott, I'm so used to calling my co-host Scott. You're not Scott. Uh, it's you're, okay. You're, it's you're I'm Chris. not. I'm not. It's okay. You're the Welsh. Uh, a sleeper that, look, I am an aggregator of aggregators. You know, I don't, I can't tell you much about these players, but this is someone I've heard you talk pretty excitingly about. Uh, this is someone who, you know, you've referenced that 
Roto-Wire podcast with uh, Alex Jensen and James Anderson, and they kind of talked glowingly about this player as well, so I can assure you it's not a homer thing. <laughs> but jo- George Lombard, a high school shortstop who was drafted by the Yankees. Welsh, what do you have on George Lombard? Because I know some people are kind of excited about him as a sleeper. Yeah, you know, one of the things, I actually saw him at that MLB draft combine and uh, pretty physically impressive. I got like these like George Springer vibes, like early George Springer vibes from me. He's not listed as a, a outfielder, he's a shortstop. I think he could end up being there, but pro debut was good. He hit over 300. There wasn't much power projection there and a few uh, a few stolen bases, but he walked more than he struck out. I think he can build into a George Springer-like player. I think he could lead off as well. I think there's good power. He obviously showed a really good plate ability early on in his pro debut with not only the batting average, but like walking more than striking out is such a big key. I think he's a great bet. I'm, I don't know how aggressive everybody is on him, but I've got him inside my top 20 of first-year players. So I'm, I'm with you on Lombard. He's definitely a guy in the second round I'm looking to get. And if he falls, which he might, because these are just ranks here. He might be a third round guy. He would, I would make that bet for sure. Yeah. I mean, it shows how much I know I'm giving out sleepers that are going in the second round. So. Well, that's just my <laughs> second round. I think a lot of people, right. like, here's the tough thing about first year player, man, is so much has changed from like when the draft happened and people ranked to getting to see some performances like, you know, the Bryce Eldridge has moved up and, you know, Dylan head has moved up. Arjun Namala has moved up. The difference between number 18 and number 30, it literally can just be league preference. Or if these guys don't pay attention, who do they pay attention to? James, me, pipeline, baseball, America. I mean, like there are wild swings, I think between like 18 and maybe even 40 where I say, Lombard is a third round pick and he can go in or a second round pick and he could go in the third or Cole Carrig is worth a second round pick and he goes in the fourth round. It's, it's going to be league dependent there. There's great depth in this first year player class that I think you can take advantage of a lot of stuff. I don't hate having quite a few mid round picks just as a suggestion for you guys in dynasty. Obviously I want the top end, but if you're not swimming in that pool in the top end, Get a second and a third, an extra second and a third round and uh, reap the benefits of players that I think have some real good potential to bump up. Last point on George Lombard. It's technically George Lombard Jr. His father actually played in the majors very briefly. He's currently the bench coach for the Detroit Tigers. So there are some bloodlines there. Uh, His father was an all-American running back too. So athleticism within the family. And I kind of understand the George Springer comps. George Lombard... Looks like George Springer. Looks just like <laughs> looks him. Looks just like, like him. But also game, kind of like face. games. His face looks like him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there, there's literally like the physical comp of like wow. his face, but like there's the body, 6'3", getting closer to 200. Also, some of the even skit, like the gameplay. That was just the thing that popped out when I was watching. And then after you like, you stop watching like stuff and then you look, you're like, oh, it kind of looks like him too. So <laughs> yeah. that, that was that was what was sitting out there for me. Yeah, let's go. Judge George Lombard, maybe the uh, shortstop of the future for the New York Yankees. Who knows? We're going to wrap there for the Welsh. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.